Hello and welcome once again to the Pace and Space podcast, the unofficial but official podcast of Kyle Kuzma. I am once again your host, Calvin Daniel, and I have some new guest hosts, not new, but new tonight. We have our good friends, Martin and Jonathan, here with us to talk about the Atlantic Division. What's going on, guys? Doing good, man. Thanks for having us back on the show. Of course. Yes, sir. Good to be here with you guys. Yes, good to have you guys as well. And this is going to be very good tonight because there's going to be a lot to talk about because Martin is a Nets fan, Jonathan is a Celtics fan, and we're going to be talking about the Atlantic Division. Unfortunately, Leif couldn't join us tonight. I know he wanted to talk his Sixers up, but we're going to talk about them as much as we want without him interjecting, so have at it, guys. (laughs) We're ready. All right. All right. I mean, there was a bit of news this week, but it's going to play into our season preview for the Atlantic Division, that being the Joel Embiid extension. But we'll get into that when we get when we start covering the Philadelphia 76ers. But as you know, guys, uh, for those of you listening before, what we do is we start from the team that had the best record in that division. And then we work our ways our way down to the bottom of that division. So last year, the Boston Celtics led the Atlantic Division. They had 53 wins and they made, you know, one or two changes, right? Right, Jonathan? <laughs> Just <a laughs> yeah, uh, to put it lightly. Yeah, <laughs> they made a couple of changes. Um, they, first of all, they got the number one pick um, yeah. as part of that trade where they, where they owned the rights to the Nets pick. And then they traded that pick to the Philadelphia 76ers, getting the third pick and future considerations from, like, Lakers or Kings pick. We'll still see how that unfolds. And they used that draft pick to take Jason Tatum, who, who did very fairly well in the summer league. And then they got the big free agent signing, Gordon Hayward. And then they made the blockbuster trade, right? That That is the, the, solar, the sun that this Celtic solar system revolves around in that they yeah. traded Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, Zizic, and that same pick they got from the Sixers with that'll be either a Lakers pick this year or a Kings pick next year. No, no, they didn't trade that. They traded the their last Nets Brooklyn pick. pick. They traded yeah. their last Brooklyn pick in exchange for Kyrie Irving. So guys, there's a lot to talk about. There's lots to talk about with this team, but let's let's do it in a little systematic way. And we're gonna go with um, who who is your team's X factor for the Boston Celtics this year. And as me and Leif do, if you wanna throw in any thoughts that you have besides that, along with this, feel free to do that. So what we're gonna do is I'm, I'm gonna start with Martin. Martin, I want you to give your X factor, and we're gonna save John for last. Because I know John, this is John's team, so we're gonna we're gonna keep we're gonna save John for last on all these questions. But Martin, go ahead. What's your X factor? Well, for me, I think the X factor for the Celtics is Jason Tatum. Um, I think he's a promising rookie. Uh, he's shown some flashes in the preseason. I like that he's a stretch four. He seems very athletic. Um, his college, notwithstanding his 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 foray in the uh, March Madness tournament, he did pretty good. Um, and I think he has a great upside to him. And he's on a team that's going to need him to play. So I don't think Brad Simmons will, Bradley Stevens rather, will throttle his minutes. I think he's going to give him the opportunity to play and develop. So like how Steinberger said, you can develop and win at the same time. So, you know, all things fair and equal, my love for Boston 
you know, as a Nets fan, notwithstanding. <laughs> um, I think Jason Tatum is the X factor for them. And I think, too, this is a, a good offense for Kyrie. I think it fits him better than it fit IT because now Kyrie has the opportunity to do what he wants and be an actual floor general. I think in the last preseason game, he had 10 assists. Yeah. So he yeah. did his thing in that game. So I think that's, that's what's going to be the key for the Celtics is developing this young talent and winning at the same time. All right, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, I'm going to go next. Again, we're going to leave John for last. Um, my X factor is going to be Marcus Smart on this Boston Celtics team. And the reason I'm saying Marcus Smart is, one, he's coming up next summer to get paid, so that's a big deal. Um, on top of that, they lost a lot when they made the trades they did. Um, oh, because another one I forgot was they traded Avery Bradley and got Marcus Morris in exchange in order to make cap room so they could sign Gordon Hayward. And that is why he's my X Factor, because Marcus Smart needs to be able to bring, I would say, at least 85%, 90% of what Avery Bradley was doing in that backcourt. Because even though Kyrie Irving is a bigger guard than Isaiah Thomas, he's still a, a one-way player like Isaiah Thomas. So they're going to need their two-guard or the guy who plays alongside um, their point guard to be more of a defensive player, more of a guy who can be, handle those uh, those point guards, help those handle those tough defensive assignments. But also... We know he can play some good defense, but we got to see if Marcus Smart can shoot to a level where he can stay on the court. Because if he can't shoot, he's he's not going to get to play much, and especially with all the other pieces they added this year. So he's my X factor because they lost a lot of defense in the moves that they made when trading Crowder, trading Avery Bradley. But if Marcus Smart is able to be an Avery Bradley type of player, especially on the defensive end, then I think they won't miss a beat per se. So that's my X factor. All right, so John, go ahead. Who's your X factor? I agree with both of you guys. The person that I want to say I feel is the X factor right now for the Celtics is Gordon Hayward. And I say this because we've seen situations where uh, perennial all-stars, all-stars or talented guys change teams like LaMarcus Aldridge um, and others, uh, Chandler Parsons, and it ends up not being a great fit sometimes. Um, you expect it to, to work out from day one. And in preseason, I've been watching the games. Gordon looks a little uncomfortable right now. Um, I think the fact that he has a good relationship with Brad Stevens is going to go a long way in helping him build that chemistry and fit in. But he steps into a leadership role on this team, especially with all the rookies and you know new ball players that are on this club. And so he's going to have to get comfortable leading this team, uh, operating the offense, especially when he's – um, you know, when Kyrie is sitting down and he becomes the number one option, um, facilitating and scoring and, and being aggressive and not just turning into a, a glorified version of Jay Crowder, you know. So I feel like he's the X factor here. He's gotten his payday, and now he has to continue to build upon that all-star season he had last year and continue to um, develop his game in his prime years. And so I feel like he's, you know, the X factor right now for the Celtics team. If he can really hit and bring that same type of intensity, same game he brought the Utah last year and this pace and space offense we run, then I feel like it's going to go a long way in um, what the Celtics can accomplish this season. Yes, pace and space offense, very on brand for our podcast this evening. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I like your pick 
for Gordon Hayward as the X Factor. He's actually the player I'm looking forward to seeing most on, on the Celtic team. So we'll, we'll get right into that question, and I guess I'll lead it off since it transitions to my pick. I, I also picked Gordon Hayward as the player I'm looking forward to watch play um, the most on this team for a lot of the things you said, but also um, there's going to be a very interesting dynamic on this team because Gordon Hayward got paid like the number one option. And Kyrie Irving got traded for like the number one option. Both of these guys were acquired in a way you acquire a go-to scorer, an alpha male, a number one player. And, you know, general knowledge going off what we know about both these players, you would assume that this is Kyrie's team now, that Kyrie is the main guy. He's the go-to guy. He's been to the NBA Finals, went to three straight NBA Finals, hit a game-winning shot to win an NBA Finals. So he's obviously got a, a level of pedigree that Gordon Hayward does not have. However, when you look at the way the NBA is built today, and you remember that Gordon Hayward is a, is a wing player, is 6'8", can handle the ball, can do a lot of things, is experienced in being a number one option as well is going to play for a coach who he was the superstar for and in college at butler and you know you ask basketball hipsters basketball nerds they might want to say that gordon hayward is actually the best player on this team and i think that's a very interesting dynamic and i want to see what what gordon hayward's response is going to be you got your money now you you made the exit you left a team that was on the come up in a in a tougher conference to come to boston to reunite with your old coach you know and to and to and to do this whatever you guys have in pl- in play, place to um do here so now he's got a lot of expectations to live up to. And what I want to see is he is he going to push to be the best player on this team or is he going to try and comfortably sit behind Kyrie, behind other guys, and just kind of try and fit in? So, Martin, you, you, why don't you go ahead? Who's, your, who's the player you're looking forward to watching? Um, well, for me, it's going to be Kyrie. And I think... Uh, Kyrie's an, a dynamic player. He he has, he's arguably has the best handles in the NBA, and definitely he's the best finisher at the rim, left or right side. Um, I kind of disagree with you a bit with with Gordon Hayward because I think in in either situation, whether Isaiah is here or Kyrie's the point guard, Gordon Hayward is the safety valve for either one of those guys. Now I do think that Gordon Hayward is going to have a good season. He's going to have probably good to great numbers. But I think this is the opportunity that Kyrie's been looking for, and we've already seen it in preseason. There's not the Kyrie who, he doesn't have to defer to anyone. He is running this team. He doesn't have to wait for LeBron to let him, you know, hold the ball for him so he's ready for it. He can actually distribute, create an offense. And I think that's that's going to be the, the calling card of this team. There's a, a difference between the heart of the team that Isaiah Thomas presented for them and I think now they're going to have a whole night identity with Kyrie at the point. I do think Gordon Hayward is, is, is in this scenario, I think he's a star, burgeoning superstar. But I think this is the move that cements Kyrie in the league as a superstar more than he is now. So I, I have a slight different take on it. But I think Kyrie's always a dynamic player to watch, be it you know USA basketball, years in Cleveland. And now he's just going to have a team to himself. Even with a great player like 
Gordon at the at the swingman position. That's that's my take on it. Okay, that's fair. Um, Jonathan, who's the player you're looking forward to watching this? Uh, almost this year. I'm kind of split. You can't say everybody. I I know you're a Celtic homer, but you can't say everybody, all right? Well, the, the two guys, the one more, than, a little bit more than the other, but it definitely has to come down to Machine a little bit. It's it's definitely Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Wow. Uh, for, for different reasons. And the reason why, one, there's two parallel narratives running, right? You have Ben Simmons now playing. Um, You have Ingram in the second year. Brown was the third pick in that draft, right? Some people were not thrilled that he was even selected. Remember, people were clamoring for a trade for Jimmy Butler and right. all this stuff to happen at the time that he was drafted. Some Celtics fans were even booing. Yeah, well, right? he's a super, he was a super raw prospect. Very athletic, exactly. but, he, but he came in raw. Right. Now he has a year under his belt. He played quality minutes for us in that run to the Eastern Conference Finals. A lot of experience under his belt now um, that a lot of rookies don't normally get an opportunity to have. And he's had the time to develop his game a little bit more. I think what we're looking to do is see if he can make that jump, especially if he's in a starting lineup, to take on some of the burden that um, is going to be there from not having Avery Bradley anymore. Cover those tough defensive assignments. I mean, he has the length and the build to, to handle it but also the offensive aspect of the game. Can he shoot the three consistently? Um, and will he be able to, you know, take on that challenge? You know, we know he has the athletic gifts, so will he, you know, he be able to continue to develop that and we will see a jump from him in this season. And that's kind of similar with Tatum. There's a running narrative now because people are going to compare was Tatum the right choice with Fultz playing. You know, we're going to be examining that over the course of the season. So I want to see Tatum continue to uh, develop. He already has the offensive skill set. One thing I really like about his game is that he's rebounding the ball really well, and that's someplace that has been a, a long-standing weakness for the Celtics team. So I'm interested to see how those two guys develop there. They're, you know, I'm kind of cross between them. Those are the two that I'm really excited to watching this year. I think we know what we're going to get from Kyrie and should get from Hayward and what we're going to get from Horford, but a lot of the questions is really on whether we're going to be able to develop these young guys because if they are not able to keep up, it our success, I should say, in the playoffs is going to depend a large degree on how much they develop over the course of the season. That's interesting. So we got Jason Tatum as an X-Factor and as a player to watch. And I find that very interesting because I have a, a slightly different take. I feel personally that they're going to bring Tatum along slowly. I don't think he's going to be heavy minutes right away. Um, kind of like what they did with Jalen Brown last year. And, and when you look at the lineup, you, you he has a lot of talent, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But when you look at the places he can play on the court, there are veterans ahead of him. If you wanted him to be a stretch four, Marcus Morris is there. If you want him to play a three, Gordon Hayward is there. Even if you want him to play the two, Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown are ahead of him. So I, while I'm not saying he's going to ride the bench, I don't think he's going to be an immediate impact guy. I think he's going to be someone they bring along slowly. And maybe in March and April, you start seeing the dividends pay off like like they did, like they were able to see with Jalen Brown last year. Now, I will say this. I, 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 you know, I did see them. They did do that with Brown. The only reason why I'm thinking it might be a little different this year is one thing they did differently was twice in the offseason. And partly that was because of um, – 
Morris's trial maybe and the fact that he's still not in complete game shape. But they started him twice. Mm. It, it, it was a starting unit that I was hoping to see where we went with Horford at the five, right. Tatum four, and um, Brown at the two. And it, it played really well. And the fact that uh, I think, like I said, Tatum re- was rebounding the ball. Marcus Morris is a good, a great, well, I shouldn't say great, but he's a solid defender. He's solid, yeah. He's... Yes, it's a good ISO score, but he's not a good rebounder. And we already mm. know that Hawford is not the best rebounder either. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to see if it's the rebounding that we get in addition to the offense and the spacing of the floor that might push Tatum into getting more minutes than Brown got since he's more of a refined prospect than Brown was coming in. That's you know, true. I'm, yeah, so yeah. I'm wondering if that the, the amount of minutes he gets and then maybe you have the veterans anchor the second unit since we have nine new players you have guys who can continue the momentum as opposed to rookies with smart in the second unit yeah I, I feel you uh, Tatum is is much more polished especially on the offensive side I think the difference is going to be what he contribute what he can contribute right away on the defensive side if he can offer defense, quality defense and quality rebounding, like you were mentioning, then, yeah, he's probably going to become more of a fixture. But if his strengths are more on the offensive side, that's where I see that they might bring him along slowly because he that's not really a, a need on that team. You have Kyrie. You have Gordon Hayward. You have Horford. Even Marcus Morris, he, he's a stretch guy. He can, he can pick and pop. He can score from the mid-range. So they won't really need points so much that they need to rely on Jason Tatum. Tatum's, they're going to need to rely on Tatum if he can be a, a respectable stretch forward defensively and rebounding-wise. So if he's able to do that, then yeah, I agree. He'll probably play a lot of minutes this year. Well, all right. So last question regarding the Celtics. Where do we think they'll end up this year? We'll start off with you, Martin. Where do you think they finish this year? Uh, 14th. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I think they're definitely the at at worst the second best team in the East. Right. I don't think there's much drop off with the trades they've made, and mm-hmm. I also don't think that the next team we're going to discuss is gotten better or can improve on what they did last year. So I think that I think they're good for for about fifty plus wins. And I think that they're definitely going to be, you know, at, at worst, the second round. I would love to see a rematch, or see them versus the Cavs, definitely. Yeah, that would be very interesting. I, I agree with you. I'm going to say they're going to finish either one or two in the East. And at worst, they're going to go to the second round. But most likely, they'll probably go to the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, do I think they'll make the NBA Finals this year? Not not really too sure about that one right now. Um, you know, Cleveland is probably able to edge them out in a in a seven game series still. Um and you know, if they face Washington again, that's gonna be a very interesting series. I think once again and you know, we'll see. We'll see how those things shake out. But they're definitely gonna be one or two in the East. They're you know, considering IT's injury, they they might even be the front runners for to finish first now. So, John, I mean, I, I don't even know if I should ask you this question, but 
But uh, what do you think is the most likely scenario for the uh, Boston I'm, Celtics this year? I'm, I'm with you guys. I think a healthy Cleveland comes out first in the East. Um, if Cleveland is not healthy, obviously you don't know with Rose and Wade and IT, then I think the Celtics come out first um, in the East, at least as far as the standings is concerned. Um, and then as far as the, you know, the playoffs, it, it's rough. I can't go based off last year. You only have four guys returning. So as right. far as I'm concerned, last year doesn't matter at this juncture because it's basically a completely new team. And, you know, to a large degree outside of the big names, we don't really know what we have with the rest of these other guys. You, you know, you're hoping that guys like Smart and Rosier are making a big jump, but you really don't know yet at this point place in the season so if i you know the way i see it right now if i went based off today i probably still have to go with Cavs coming out of the east um after a, a seven game series yeah so i think that's uh i think that about covers it we we all kind of have uh, a clear picture where how we think the celtics are gonna do this year so let's just move forward let's move over let's move forward to a team that you know, it's it's kind of milk toast to talk about at this point, I think, but we're gonna talk about them anyway. The Toronto Raptors. Toronto Raptors did not do a whole lot this off season. They they brought back Kyle Lowry um, to a deal that was actually not too bad. A, a three year deal that was not too bad considering for them. Um, and they got CJ Miles, they added CJ Miles, but but they had some significant losses too. They lost Patrick Patterson, they lost Corey Joseph. Um, so now guys like you know Norman Powell and other other players like that are going to be leaned on more in that second unit. So let's just go right into it. Um, John, we'll start off with you. Who is your X factor for the Toronto Raptors this year? X factor for the Toronto Raptors for me is Ibaka. I mean, they mm-hmm. brought him in. In order to bolster the defense, you know, he's able to stretch the floor and shoot the three. Um, and you might say that's caused rebounding to suffer as a result. But, I mean, if you can shoot the three in this day as a big in this league, that's a valuable, um, you know, skill to have. Abaka is, really has to be able to be the third option and third guy along with DeRozan and Lowry. He's going to have to be able to deliver on the offensive end as well as the defensive end if they plan to, you know, make a run in the playoffs. I think Toronto is always going to be a situation where they have a good, you know, regular season record. But if they're going to be strong in the playoffs, Abaka's that guy who's going to have to bang with the Tristan Thompsons and bang with the other big dudes and pull them out, you know, uh, on the perimeter to space the floor for Lowry and DeRozan to go to work. So, to me, he's the X factor here. Yeah, that's a good one. Serge Ibaka, you know, a lot rise on him. Uh, I mean, honestly, I would even consider him playing him at the five a lot this year if I was Toronto, try and get a little more of a, a, a three-point spaced-out setup going. But that's a good pick. Um, Martin, who's your X factor for the Toronto Raptors? Um, whew, I want to go on record and saying that I find them boring. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, mean, I did I did say they're milk toast because I mean they're just oh, kind of no. they're kind of wash rinse repeat at this point. Uh, they they are worse than Atlanta Hawks when they were on their playoff run. Ooh, like they don't do anything. Hot great. take. They don't they don't score in bunches. They're not. I'm gonna be honest. They're not fun. Mm. They're just 
there. They're just, they are the best beneficiaries of how bad other teams are in the East. Wow. So, wow. having said that, <laughs> my X factor, I was going to say Drake, but he's just <laughs> that factor. Um, that, that was I'm good. Gonna, I'm going to put it to you like this. Kyle Lowry. Mm. He's the wrong side of 30. Mm-hmm. He just got paid. Kyle Lowry is Patrick Beverly if he was two points better in his 2K rating. Mm. Wow. Good. Kyle, okay. Hot takes. These, these guys, I'm sorry, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to restrain myself a bit. I no, go Kyle for it, Lowry, man. Just go for it. Look, look, let's be honest. With all the point guards there are now in the East, is Kyle Lowry that special? Mm. He's, again, he, what does Kyle Lowry do? That you say this guy is worth the money they paid him. We complained about what guys like Mike Conley got, guys like you know Joe Embiid. But what does Kyle Lowry do? Well, Demar Derozan mm-hmm. can't shoot a jumper within six feet of the basket, but or outside of six feet of the basket. But he does the best Kobe impression that anyone's ever seen. After that, uh... there. <laughs> How about this, Calvin? He does the best, worst Kobe impression. He does. He does a poor man's Kobe impression. Yeah. Kobe at and, least took some threes. And then again, at the end of the day, like, like I said, they're they're boring. And you know, I don't like Boston because they're Boston. But I can't watch Toronto, you know, and feel like I'm enjoying a basketball game. So my X factor is Kyle Lowry. There we go. All right, that's a good one. That's a good one. And, I mean, I'm kind of going to go with the same choice. I'm going to go with Kyle Lowry, too. Because, honestly, one, there's not a lot of names to pick from in this roster. (laughs) And, two, because, like you said, he got paid. And also, so much of what this team can or can't do is based around Kyle Lowry. Even more so than DeMar DeRozan. Um, they've kind of predicated this whole roster around the way Kyle Lowry just is like a 48-minute pit bull on the court on defense and on offense. And he kind of, did, you know, for all of the, you know, analytics this team uses and and the way they're supposed to be, such, they're supposed to be set up more like a modern franchise, they're, they're very reliant on two guys just creating all the offense themselves. So... He's had a couple last two seasons. He he's hit a, a another level which was not expected of Kyle Lowry, but you know, can he maintain that now? Can he go to another level? Because the level he's at, quite frankly, is is not enough to get to where this team wants to get to. So can Kyle Lowry hit another gear? I find it very unlikely, but he's an X factor to see, because like I said, they're only gonna go as far as he can, he can take them. I think so. He that he's my X factor as well. So let's move forward. Who is the player you're looking most forward to watching on this team? John, we'll start with you. It's DeRozan. And it's mm-hmm. because one, he always, I always pick him in fantasy because he'll fill up the points category, right? Uh, and the, the other reason is because I don't have to worry about three-point percentage dropping because he doesn't take any. <laughs> DeRozan needs to be able to shoot the three. Enough is enough. Right. Take one step back, get behind that line, and put the ball in the basket. It's in this today's NBA, you're not going to win games. You can't shoot the three. And last year's playoffs, you had the Cavs and Golden State competing 
you know, to, to see keep breaking the record for most threes made in playoff games, you know. Um, so it you have to be able to shoot the three at this point. The Rosen got paid. We know Lowry uh, can be hot and cold sometimes with his shot. But DeRozan has to be able to shoot that three consistently. You got to take these guys out. And if you can get them to – if you can help knock down the three, it's just going to create better things for your offense, your space the floor better, create better looks for other guys, uh, be able to drive and dish out for other guys because they got to respect your shot. If nobody has to fear you shooting that three, then, you know, I don't – then, they're gonna, you know, you can take all the long twos you want. They're still just twos. He has to be able to shoot the three. I want to see if he can do that this year. Yeah. Um, agreed. I mean, I was going to say pretty much the same thing you said, John. So I'm not going to drag this out any longer. Um, let's just move forward. Uh, <laughs> where do you see this team ending up in the, at the end of the season? Uh, who's Martin? You're up. You're up. They will either be the... <clears throat> Fifth of the sixth seed playoffs. Um, there, I think they might even be a first round exit. Um, I think they're they're just their their time is coming to an end. I mean, every I think the best the best teams in the East have gotten better, and they've just stayed the same. So they're just like the Hawks to me. Um, and that's yeah. it. I don't <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mark, um, John. Where do you uh, see this team ending up? I see them being able to be uh, maybe number four, number five behind mm-hmm. Washington um, if they stay healthy. I mean, they still have good size. and those guys can ball, but, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Like Martin said, if you get bumped in the first round, what's the point? And, and this, how much of this is by default because the East is just trash? Yeah. You know, so it's like they can't be five to eight because they – they conceivably just can't be that bad, barring some catastrophic injury. So, you know. Or they yeah. could be that bad. <laughs> well, and boring. Yes. I mean, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lock them in at fifth. Uh, I don't think they're going to be one of the top four teams in the East. I personally think Milwaukee will be better than them this year. So, And I think Washington will be better than them this year. I mean, Washington was better than them until, like, that last couple of weeks where, like, Toronto had a, a late surge and got back up to the three seed. Yeah. But, but um, so I don't see that happening again. They're, like we said, they're, they're the same team once again. Actually, they're not even the same team because they brought – all they added in was C.J. Miles, and they lost several members of their second unit that was important to that team. So they're not even the same team. They're going to rely on other people to try and replicate that. And uh, I, I just got them at fifth. Um, I think that's where they're going to end up. Um, and let's just move on. Let's just move on. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to go to the Knicks now. Now, the Knicks, they looked like a much more interesting team to talk about up until they finally traded Melo. But they had a very interesting summer. Phil Jackson's gone. Melo's gone. I mean, this is a team built around Porzingis now. They they drafted French Frank, Frank Nicotine, whatever you want to call him. His his nickname, his nicknames are gonna be way better than his game on the court, but whatever. <laughs> um, and oh, in the trade for Melo, they got Doug McDermott, Ennis Cantor, 
and a second round pick. So now they're they're three best players all play center in Hernan Gomez, Porzingis, and Canner. And they've got a lot of money tied up between Ennis Canner and Joakim Noah still. All right, let's, let's just get into it. Uh, John, who's your X Factor on the Knicks this year? Oh, good question. Now remember, uh, you have to pick a player you're looking forward to see as well. So don't pick the same player twice. Okay. So the X Factor for me is going to be Frank. French Frank. Mm. Um, we don't know what he's capable of in the NBA. I right. think of the Knicks, once again, it was a situation where Knicks fans were unhappy with him being selected. But this guy has professional ball-playing experience. He's young. He's talented. Uh, he knows how to facilitate. So the question is, you know, how good is he? What is he capable of? Will he exceed expectations? He's a guy that I'm, I think is going to be an X factor for this team. Even though I really think they should be aiming to tank, they should be trying to lose as many games as possible. So if they have something good in him, that's great, and you know maybe that's something to build upon for the future. I mean, I don't think they're gonna have to try to tank. I think it's just gonna <laughs> come naturally, and and that's what they want. I mean, that's they're what they want. You got a lot of tanking teams in the East this year. You I know, know so. but you know, oh, all right, we'll, we'll keep moving. Uh, Mar- <laughs> Martin, who's your X factor? Um, I'm gonna say Porzingis. Okay. Uh, and I'll say this: I, he's already expressed that he doesn't think he's a five, and he, you yeah. know, aside from shot blocking, he doesn't play like a five. He doesn't have, uh, even for a modern center, you know, he's he's not he's not really a three point shooter. I don't see that as his forte. He's kind of like a lighter version of Dirk Nowitzki, meaning you know, size wise, mm-hmm. he's more mobile. He handles the ball well. And I think that's, you know, hence the nickname, the unicorn. I think he's their X Factor. I think if he develops, progresses, and just gets a little bit better defensively and not just, you know, blocking a 6-2 point guard, but contesting and battling at the rim and rebounding, I think that's that's the key to their success. Or their key to winning at least 20 games or so. Right. I mean, I hear what you're saying, and I know he said that about – Honestly, I think long term his position is the five. I mean, you call them, you compare them to Dirk, and while there is a lot of comparisons there, he's also got like four inches on Dirk. He's seven three. Yeah. I I mean he's a center long term. I mean I, I it's fine now. He he's still young. He's he's a little he gets banged up kind of easily. So maybe you don't want him to play the five right now. But I think long term you need to think about building your team around him playing the five. And this year, they have a lot of guys that can play the five anyway, so let him play the four. That's fine. But I think long-term, he, he should be a five. And my X factor is going to be Tim Hardaway Jr. He's a, I, I forgot to mention him, but he's another guy. He got a big payday this summer. Knicks, um, Knicks paid him. I mean, after trading him away, they saw the error in their ways, I guess, and they... Gave him that contract, and Atlanta said, thank you, we're not going to match. And they got him. So now is, you know, we have to see, is Tim Hardaway Jr. a a nice secondary player to complement Porzingis? And that's why he's my X factor. Not an X factor in the sense that it's going to lead to wins or anything this year, but is he going to show himself to be the type of player that they can also build around alongside Porzingis? Because... 
you know, he's getting treated as such with, with the way they, they paid him. Um, you, the, I mean, he has to be at the worst, your third best player based on his contract. So, you know, we have to see what he can do. And also, it's going to be interesting to see now that he's back in, in the Nick on the, this Knicks team and he's back, back to playing in New York, is he going to look like he did in Atlanta or is he going to look more like the player that they traded away? So that's why he's my X factor. Um, so who is the player you're looking forward to watching the most this season, John? Easily, it's Porzingis. You're the number one option. Mm-hmm. You're the face of this franchise now. There's no drama anymore with Camelo. There's no Phil Jackson distractions. Now it's all about basketball. I want to see what KP can really do. I want to see if KP can stay healthy over the course of the season. I want to see if he is a leader for this team. So he's the one I want to I want to watch the most. Yeah, pretty clear cut, good one. Martin, uh, who's your choice for player you're looking forward to watch playing the most? Tim Hardaway Jr. Right. Um, I, I think Atlanta was his G League. He developed nicely there. I think now he comes into a senior team where he doesn't have to worry about Melo, J.R. Smith, as he did when he was first in New York. He has the opportunity to be the kind of player he was in college where he could hit from outside, but he also slashed and attacked the basket. So I think this is the best opportunity for him. And I think he's going to be a fun player to watch. Okay, nice. So the player I'm looking forward to watch watching the most this year is Michael Beasley. Oh, <laughs> M. Beasley. Yes. I mean, first of all, he's going to be a great quote all year. I mean, if that interview about the 11% didn't clue you in on that, I mean, just wait and see. He he's in a market that's gonna be. They're gonna need to talk to somebody. New York, New York media needs a quote from somebody, and a lot of these other guys on the team are not gonna want to give quotes. So he he's gonna be a, a quote almost all the time. And the other factor is this dude is saying like this is his chance now. You know he he's got a spot open. There's a there's a there's a starting three position just waiting for him to take. And you know some Nick fans think like now that. You know, now that they've moved on from Melo, that Beasley can can start at the three, and this can be his time to finally show the type of player he is. I mean, this guy was the number two overall draft pick the same year Derrick Rose came out. And, I mean, I don't want to – I think it's kind of crazy or naive to think that all of a sudden he's going to break out. I mean, this is his ninth year in the NBA. But – he, he might be an interesting player for them. He might be able to do some stuff. He does have talent. He does have skill. I mean, I don't know if a city like New York is going to be good for him in terms of staying out of trouble. But all of those things make him very worthwhile to see on my end. And I think he's just going to be a, a fascinating character this year in New York. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So where do we see this team ending? I th- we've kind of been alluding to it, but uh, let, let's just say it outright. John, where do you see this team ending up? Uh, they're definitely going to be one of the bottom teams in the league. I would say one of the bottom yeah. uh, bottom six teams. And then what will happen is uh, it will still jump up two slots in the lottery and pick two slots further back than where they were. <laughs> Goodness. Martin, where do you see this team ending up? Okay. So, based on what we've discussed about them, my feeling about them from, from jump, um, 
I don't think they're going to be – I think they're going to be one of the worst teams in the East, you know, probably ninth or tenth, maybe even lower. But I do think they're going to – they're not going to be boring. Right. They may be bad, but I don't think they're going to be boring. I think with a guy like Porzingis and a guy like Tim Hardaway Jr., there's going to be nights when they sneak up on really good teams or there's going to be nights where it's a slugfest and, you know, it's a triple-digit score for both teams. But I think that this is their opportunity to just be as bad as they could be, get a get a good pick, conspiracy theorists not involved, <laughs> right? And rebuild their future. So I think that they got they might be you know, I mean they're gonna be bad. I can't lie, but they might be fun to watch. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I think they're gonna be fun to watch as well. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons for Nick fans to. Be excited about the future. You got Hernan Gomez, Frank Tilakina, Doug McDermott, Porzingis, of course, first and foremost, Tim Hardaway Jr. There's a lot of young guys on this team now. I mean, but there are a couple of veterans here, um, you know, like Jared Jack, Ramon Sessions. So the dynamic is going to be interesting between the veterans and the young guys. But I think they're going to have some exciting nights at the Garden. But ultimately, I think they're going to finish on the lower half of the Eastern Conference, which is which is good for them because then they can get another, um, you know, lottery pick and, and keep adding to this young depth. So it's not going to be a great season, but I think it's going to be an exciting season for Knicks fans all the same. So now we gonna, we're going to go to a very hot take kind of team. The Philadelphia 76ers. <laughs> now, the yeah. Philadelphia 76ers, they made some moves, right? They moved up in the draft. They got Markel Fultz at first overall. They got Ben Simmons back after missing a whole year of injury. That's that's very important for them. They made a, a very interesting signing in getting J.J. Redick on a one-year deal. I mean, this is not something they've done in the past. And they... Paid the boy. They paid Joel Embiid five years, $148 million extension. Um, and, you know, all the buzz is that this is a playoff team this year. So, you know, we're going to chop it up real quick. And um, I guess before we get into anything, let's just talk about the Embiid extension. Um, and and what, is, what are your guys' uh, feelings on that extension? And, and I'll give mine after you guys go. But let's start off with, uh, let's start off with Martin. What, are you, what is your thoughts on this Embiid extension? Well, I mean, I think the guy probably has more sick days than anybody. He, he's like, his contract is probably paid in sick days. Um, they had to do it. You know, all things considered. He generates the most buzz for them. He's actually tweeted more than he's played in NBA games. So he has to be the player they keep for their future. Um, they structure the contract so that if his knees or his feet fall off, they don't have to pay him. Right. Now, when he's on the court, <clears throat> he's probably the most dominant player we've seen in a long time. When he is on the court. Wait, the, court, the most dominant player in the whole league? Since Shaq. Most dominant big man since Shaq. Okay, most dominant big man. Not, mo- not most yeah. dominant player, right? No, no, no. Let me, thank you. Thank you for catching that. Okay. And if you look at it... Because it's about to get real crazy in here. <laughs> yeah. he, has, he, he, he has great size. He's 7'2". Since he's... The, the transition from him as a college player to a pro, he's put on 
the right weight, muscle weight. He can hit from outside, and he can play inside, and he handles the ball well. The problem is he has no health. He, like, needs to get some in the game or get a game shark so he could power up his health. Um, but he's very talented, and he could be a driving force for that team. But he's going to have to play at least 60 games. So the contract, to me, it's kind of like a it's it's kind of like a push. It's not a pro and it's not a con. It just is what it is. They had to pay him that. Mm. Now what he has to do is he actually has to play. And to me, the team in itself, he's his contract isn't the biggest problem on that team. Okay. Well, we, you know we'll get into that. Uh, but John, uh, let's come back. Let's come to you, and then we'll 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 circle back to that that last thought you had, Martin. John, John, what are your thoughts on that extension? Uh, good move by the Sixers. I think it was smart. Hmm. I like that they structured the contract in a way to protect themselves. Um, it signals to the fan base, to the NBA, that this series about winning. And it signals to free agents that they should consider Philadelphia because they're trying to change their culture. And they're invested in Embiid. And, it, you know, it, I guess to those who were fans of the process, and provide some type of validation for them, knowing they'll at least have Embiid locked up. You know, mm-hmm. question is whether or not he'll play. I'm I'm not gonna say he's the most dominant. I mean, I'm I'm not convinced he's better than, you know, Anthony Davis or Car Anthony Towns or Boogie. Mm. Uh, and it's not to take anything away from him, but I can't look at a sample size as small as 31, 32 games. And use that to go ahead and make a determination. Yeah, you know, on how talented he is. There's no denying his talent, but there's a difference between a, you know what we've seen and being able to keep that over the course of you know the regular season and really the postseason is what it's all about. Not even the regular season. What are you doing? You know, the playoffs. You right. get to the playoffs. So I think it was a good move for Philly. Um, I'm happy for the organization. I'm happy as a basketball fan. Because it means that end to the tanking and other stuff that, you know, was just really taken away from, you know, the league, uh, you know, at least as far as the 76ers were involved. Okay. Uh, yeah, I appreciate those thoughts. Um, you know, before I, before I go on, can we all agree to just say, like, MB is the X factor on this team based on what yeah, everything I'm- we're all saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's pretty clear cut. So I'll just go ahead with my thoughts on the extension. For, from the jump, I didn't like it. I, I felt like it was not necessary to commit at this point in time that much money to a guy who's played 31 games in three years. It's not like he only got played 31 games in one season. He played 31 games combined over three years. And I love his talent. He's modern-day Olajuwon. I, I love his talent. I love his game. But the the thing is, if you're the Sixers, and I, and I hear what you're saying, John, but I think there was other factors they already did to mitigate those factors. Like, I mean, the tanking was already resolved when they got rid of Hanky and brought in Colangelo. Mm-hmm. And the whole free agent landing spot thing, I think they addressed when they signed J.J. Redick, to be completely honest. And... To sign, and I'm not, I'm not against signing him, but I would have straight up told him, "This is your show me season," and we could say that they need him, and that's true because they looked so much better with him last year. But there 
is a couple of factors this year that weren't in play last year. They have Simmons this year, they have Fultz now this year, and they have players like J.J. Redick. So it may not be as crucial for to this team's future that Embiid's on it if Simmons and Fultz hit. If I was the Sixers, I would have waited to see what we get out of Simmons and, and Fultz this year. And, you know, I would have told Embiid, give me 60 games, give me 65 games before we talk about this extension. I would have even said, hey, on the day you reach 60 games this year, this season, we'll sign that extension with you. But get there first. Because they had this guy in bubble wrap last year. Played no back-to-backs. Played, he never played, like, he didn't even average 30 minutes a game last year. And he still missed most of the season. So... To, to, to me, to feel like they had to, I, I say no, they didn't. You still have Jaleel Okafor. Put him out on the court when he's if Embiid can't play. You still have Simmons. I know they're playing him as, at point guard, but the dude's like 6'10". You could, you could do a lot of the same things offensively with him at the five as you're trying to do with him at, at point guard. Look what, look what Denver's doing with Nikola Jokic at the five. He's basically their point guard at the five. So there were other, there were other factors in here, and it, Philly could have waited because I don't understand what leverage Joel Embiid had at this point. I really don't. So good for him for getting paid, and I, I understand the stipulations that this may not hurt the Sixers in the long run, but it, it was a little bit premature in my opinion, and that, and that's just that's just how I'm going to leave it. So, um, but Martin, you have, you have made a thought. You have said something regarding Embiid in the extension before at the end. Uh, can you go back to that real quick? I, yeah, I said it's not the only issue with the team. Yeah, what is the other issues on this team? At the start of preseason, they they were showing on their um, each report, and I think it was a feed from their practice that they put on their side as well, the Sixers. And these guys can't shoot. Like, were, they were freaking layups, <laughs> and and it's bad. And you can see their frustration. Like you know, the monster stole this secret stuff. And yeah. and for me, like I think that. People are projecting playoffs on them, but they have to pump the brakes. Like, Ben Simmons is probably going to be up there for Rookie of the Year. Yeah. You've seen what he could do, but Ben Simmons really doesn't shoot the ball. Mm -mm. And that's part of being a basketball player is you have to shoot the ball. You have to throw it in the hoop. Right. And, you know, come 10 games into the season, teams are going to collapse on him when he tries to drive to the basket. He's going to have to develop some type of mid-range yeah. or outside game. Especially if you're going to play him at point guard. Yeah, especially if you're going to play in the point guard position. Markel Fultz hires his own shooting coach, and all of a oh, sudden yeah. his free throws look like he's playing with a Rubik's Cube. Yeah, he. I don't know why he changed his whole form like that. It, it's and, and if you see it, it doesn't look like anyone's free throw form. So whoever he hired, he needs to get his money back. Um, I think that, you know, like like I said, this is this is a team that's supposed to be implementing Spurs culture. Their coaches from the Spurs system. Um, Colangelo is is a basketball genius, but I don't know. I think that they're just like stuck on, you know, the process as it were, and just putting up that hype machine. And I don't know if they've put a lot into deciding how good they should be. And I think that. They've ruined Jaleel Okafor. 
because they mm-hmm. basically made him their new New Orleans Noel. You're going to play when we feel like playing you, and you're not going to be sure if you even have a part on this team or not. And if you right. watch him play, he's kind of dejected. They put him in, like, second of all, who signs a Mecca Okafor? I thought, was, I thought, I thought a Mecca Okafor, I remember when I saw when I saw him on the court, I said, is he a Mecca Okafor's son? Like, did his kid secretly rise to the college ranks? Oh, my it's God. a Mecca Okafor. Like, this dude was trash. Wow. His first season's in the NBA. Wow, I I didn't even realize they had a Mecca Okafor on the team. Wow. Why do you get like that's the wrong kind of veteran? Like if you wanted to sign a, look at all the other bad veteran centers you could assign. They didn't call Michael Oluwa Candy. They didn't call <laughs> Country Brian Reeves. They said, you know what we should do? Let's get my uh, a Mecca Okafor to teach bad habits to our star players. Oh man! Don't rebound. It's okay. You know, it. I don't know. I just, I just feel like people saw them on paper and saw like a good two K roster and decided, well, this is the year they're gonna break out and make the playoffs. Yeah. I, I just, I don't see it. I think that this team needs what they, what they really needed. Aside from JJ Redick, they really didn't get shooting. And, yeah, yeah, and and like a veteran presence and. You know, even J.J. Redick has said it. If if the Nets didn't get D'Angelo Russell, he would have gone and took their money. Yeah. So, J.J. Redick just took a nice check because he still has his $2 million apartment in Brooklyn that he'll probably commute to when he when he's playing home games. He, he got a nice check from Philly. And I guarantee you, J.J. Redick is at the point in his life where he's thinking, I'm going to start doing podcasts more. I'm going to start doing shooting coach when I retire. And I don't have to worry about these Sixers kids. Yeah, I mean, the other thing with J.J. Redick, too, is that while he's a veteran and he's a good shooter, he is the type of player that is dependent on the ball movement of his teammates in order to be an impact on the court. So if the rest of the team is not in sync, he's going to suffer because he, I mean, his numbers spiked when he played with Chris Paul. That's not a, that's not a coincidence he (laughs) he thrives when he has players that know how to give him the ball and when to give him the ball and how to read when he comes off his curls and and things like that so this could be a situation while even though J.J. Redick is a good player and he's a solid veteran he's not really gonna be the type of veteran that can take over on the court when 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 the when the rooks are like you know shell-shocked or the moment's too big for them or anything like that. Um, honestly, the the positions they kind of needed that veteran leadership in, they didn't get because they don't have a veteran point guard and they don't have a veteran wing. You don't think Jared Bayless is a veteran point guard? <laughs> but Jared Bayless is is like, he he's like the type of guy that sees three guys open. He's like, nope, I'm shooting this. <laughs> He's not. He's not a point guard like like Darren Collison. Darren Collison. Darren Collison has been on every single NBA team. Why didn't the Sixers throw money at Darren Collison? He would have played a decent backup point guard, and he would have got people the ball. So, hey, Calvin, let me ask you a question: Do the Sixers have an identity? Embiid is their identity. That's that's the only thing close to an identity they have. And 
we still don't know how Embiid, Fultz, and Simmons works together because when Embiid was thriving last lie. year, when when Embiid <laughs> when when Embiid was thriving last year with the Sixers, a lot of stuff ran through him. He was at the high elbow. He was passing. He was setting screens while he had the ball in his hands and and throwing a backdoor cut passes. You know, all of that goes out the window if you need Simmons and Fultz to control the ball. And then the other thing is, what is Fultz doing if Simmons is the point guard? Fultz had the ball in his hands the whole time in Washington last year. I know they, I know he's a he's a pretty good shooter, and people assume he can play off ball. But you've changed so much of your dynamic this year, including the dynamic that made Embiid as good as he was. So I, I don't know. Um, it's it's a it's a lot it's a lot of moving parts. I kind of feel like the Sixers are last year's T Wolves, in a lot of ways, where people just penciled them in like, oh, these young players are 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 gonna be phenomenal. They're gonna make the playoffs last year, and then we realized it was a little too soon for them. While Towns was great and Wiggins could play and Zach Levine could play, all those guys were doing good. They still needed to learn how to win. And they still need to learn how to win. And that's why Thibodeau went after Taj Gibson. That's why he went after Jimmy Butler. That's why he signed Jeff T. Because he needed guys that can get them over the hump. He needed guys in the fourth quarter that can say, all right, Wiggins, you do this. Towns, you do this. This is what we're going to do now. They needed leadership. And I think the Sixers are in that same boat. Now, I say all that, and at the same time, the East is terrible. So... (laughs) They're going to, I would say at worst, they're going to be hovering around the eighth seed all year. I don't think they'll, I don't know if they'll get the eighth seed or not, but they're going to be in that discussion. And I think maybe if anything, their youth and inexperience will, will stop them from getting that last spot. But even if they get that spot, we're talking about them winning 37, 38 games. Yeah, and, that's, I mean, that's the thing. Is that how many games are they actually going to win, even if they got that eighth seed? I mean, you're still going to be way below 500. Yeah. Still think, like you said, it's 30-something games. And, you know, my issue with them is, like you said, Simmons seems determined to be the point guard. I don't know what what they're going to do with Fultz. I think they think that they're going to do it like the way it was like with LeBron and Kyrie, where LeBron was the point. But they don't have LeBron, and they don't have Kyrie, Mm. you know? It's a, it's not gonna work that exact same way. Yeah, and those guys can't space the floor. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of potential there, and I think Simmons is, if he can learn how to shoot, he can, he can do something very special, with the skill set and the build that he has. Right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you yeah. flesh this roster out in another year or two, I think they're gonna be a real problem in the East. Um, yeah, but, but you know they need I, veterans that can win too. Yeah, and but I think locking them in for ready. the playoffs this year that's yeah. a little premature. But you know, if if these guys all hit right away, if Holtz and Simmons are like hitting their what we think they're gonna be right away, then yeah, they're gonna be a playoff team. But do, that doesn't typically happen unless you're drafting like Melo and LeBron and Wade and those guys and. and you know, it's not fair to say they're on that level, you know, because look at how great Carl Anthony Towns is, and they he still hasn't even sniffed the playoffs yet. Look mm-hmm. look how great Anthony Davis is, and he only went to Davis. one playoff series so far. Yep. 
So, Boogie Cousins, he's still waiting to get to the playoffs. So Trust the process. So, yeah. you know, the talent is there. The talent is there. No questioning that. And all those guys you just mentioned played more than 31 games. And- <laughs> That's the other thing, too. The, they played a lot more than 31 games. So, I mean, I hope he plays the majority of the season because he's a phenomenal talent. But, um, you know, like you guys said, pump the brakes a little bit on the yeah. Sixers. You know, we, we broke our format completely on the Sixers, but I think it was warranted. I, I know I know Leif is probably going to hear this episode back, and he's going to be, like, dying that he didn't get to talk on this one. But, you know, we're going to soldier on. And we're going to go over to the last team that we're going to discuss in the division. And this is going to be very near and dear to Martin's heart because it is the Brooklyn Nets. I'm sorry, God. Very nice, very nice. Okay. So <laughs> the Nets finished last in the division last year. Um, they, We all know what happened with the draft pick. No need to belabor that point. They made some interesting acquisitions. They, got, um, they made that trade, sending Brooke Lopez and the 27th pick to the Lakers, uh, absorbing Mozgov's uh, terrible contract and getting D'Angelo Russell, which was really the the star of that trade and the whole reason they did that trade. And in Russell, they feel like they've gotten that that star lottery pick they've missed the last couple of years because of other trades that happened. And now this is a team that has D'Angelo Russell. They traded for Alan Crabb. They got Demar Carroll's dead body. And they're going, to, they're going to, you know, and they're going to see what they can do. Uh, hopefully, their hope is Damari Carroll will rejuvenate his career playing, uh, playing along, playing in this system that he's familiar with that came from the Cavs. And I'm blanking on Martin. What's the head coach's name again? I'm blanking. Kenny Atkinson. Kenny Atkinson. Yes, and he was assistant. He was assistant coach with the Hawks while Carroll was there. While Carroll had a breakout year, so they're hoping he can rediscover that again. They got the D'Angelo Russell, Jeremy Lin backcourt going on. There's a lot to, uh, you know, there's a lot to see what's going on there. Then you got young, there's a lot of young players on this team. Karis LeVert, Isaiah Whitehead, Sean Kilpatrick, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. This, These are not your grandpa's New Jersey Swamp Dragons, right, right, Martin? <laughs> yes, indeed, yes, indeed. So, let's, uh, you know, let's get right into it. In the same way, like, we left John last yeah. on his team, we're going to leave you last on, for your team, too. All right? So, um, John, you'll go first. Who do you see as an X Factor for the Brooklyn Nets this year? X Factor for me is Jeremy Lin. Because mm. um, of the dreads, uh, right? Yeah, the dreads, you know. <laughs> dreadhead, you know. I think, he, look, he suffered injuries last year, and I think that was a, a factor in why they lost so many games to a, a small degree. Not, it, it would have completely changed things, but it definitely was a factor. Um, if he's back healthy throughout this season um, and you pair him with D'Angelo Russell and Mozgov and the rest of these guys, I, I think that, you know, he can. He has a lot. He has more talent now to, to, to work with on this squad than he's had before. And if he's healthy then there's a lot of opportunities presented for him. We know he can score. We know that he can facilitate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think he's really the X factor. He's, you know, a veteran on his ball club now, and he's going to be the driving force, I feel, um, to 
to be a leader on this team and to be a reason why their win total is going to be higher than what I think a lot of people expect. I think he's the X factor. That's a good one. They they actually played around 500 ball while Jeremy Lin was on the court last year. It was just in so few games. They couldn't really make the impact. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if he's healthy, you know, is that impact sustainable over a full season? So that's a good pick. My pick for X Factor is going to be Karis LeVert. Um, you know, he, he had his rookie year last year. He showed a lot of promise. You know, now he's in year two. You know, he's another year removed from his injuries in college. He, you know, he's looking more like he's, he's confident in his body. He's, he's more close to 100% health. And, you know, a lot of players, they make, they make that second-year jump. Once they get adjusted to the league, the next year they, they make a jump. And, you know, for the Nets, that's going to be very key for, for what they do now and, and in the future. I think they've looked at Karis LeVert and identified him as perhaps somebody that was lottery pick talent but didn't go to the lottery pick because of injuries and other issues so if he's healthy now they 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 feel and we'll see if that's justifiable or not that they have a lottery pick talent in Karis LeVert so he's my x-factor this year to see how he grows as a player what he can do on the court and you know if you have Lynn Russell and LeVert on the court at the same time as your backcourt and your, your your number three that's an interest that there's potential there so, so he's my X factor. But let's let's go to, you know, net fan extraordinaire Martin. Um, who is your X factor on the Brooklyn Nets? Well, for me, my choice is Alan Crabb. Um, Alan Crabb in sample sets, <clears throat> being the backup two for Portland, shot the three well. I think about thirty eight percent. And in the preseason, he spoke about trying to hit forty percent for the season. And in the type of offense the the Nets run, pace and space. You know, we had the, I think, the second to third best pace in the NBA last season. And we shot the ball. I think we shot the most three-pointers behind Houston. So I think when you put a guy who, who has a natural stroke, a natural ability at the three, shooting threes, you know, he's he's going to he's gonna be, this is his moment to shine, really. You know, you don't have the, the albatross of you're not being worth your contract hanging above you. If you produce what the contract dictates, you should be producing. So he's my X factor to me. That's a good one. I mean, they got their man a year later. They they, they put that contract out. Portland matched it. But, you know, here a year later, they, they were willing to part ways with him, and, and now you guys got him. So that, that's going to be interesting to see how he produces on, on the Nets now. Um, so players that we're looking forward to watching the most. Uh, John, you can you can start off. Oh, absolutely. It's got to be D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Russell's revenge is going to be a common thing. You, Whenever you take a guy and you give him a reason to have a chip on his shoulder, you know, um, you're going to get you're gonna get some good basketball out of him. I think D'Angelo Russell, now without having a, the weight and expectation that comes with playing with for a historic franchise like the Lakers, you know, now in a place where he's going to be able to grow and be a cornerstone for this foundation – uh, or foundation for this team, I think we're going to see some special things come from him. Um, you know, you play for the Lakers, and you have two of the greatest guards, jerseys hanging in the rafter, and Magic Johnson and Kobe Bryant. You know, you're, it's hard, I feel, as a guard to really shine in that type of situation unless you're really, really prepared for that environment and can live up to those lofty expectations. 
you're not gonna have that on Russell. You're gonna have a chip on his shoulder. You're gonna have a guy who's determined to to show and live up to his potential. And uh, he's gonna be in an environment I think that's gonna facilitate and cater to him being able to do that. So he's a guy I want to watch this season. You know, I like your pick. Uh, obviously, I have a, a little bit of a, a different take. You know, he was on my team, and now he's traded. Um, I think um, Russell has all the talent in the world, and I think what's going to be important for him this year is going to be consistency. Because in Lake, um, when he was on the Lakers, he had flashes. You know, he he had some brilliant games. He had the ice in my veins game. He had a lot of games where he showed that potential, and the next game it wasn't there um so i i you know i agree it's a it's a lofty standard to play in la but i you know i also think as a point guard he kind of shot himself in the foot with the whole nick young thing and some other things that that led to him you know being it was it, it basically made it hard for him to be a leader in that locker room and when you're a point guard you have to be a leader that's that's just it like the point guard is the floor general on the court yeah you're right so now he has a fresh start in Brooklyn, and I think, honestly, I think it was probably the best for both teams. Yeah. Um, I think it was the best outcome for the Nets to get, you know, a number two pick, a recent number two pick, um, you know, when they were they were void of those picks the last couple of years, so they got a talent that they should have had. And I think it's good for the Lakers because they, they identified what they needed as a point guard, as a leader, and they, you know, for call it a slide or whatever, but they they knew that that's not what they what they had or, or what they were looking for in D'Angelo Russell, and they made the move. And part of the reason they made the move is because they had to move on from Mozgov's contract. If Mitch Kupchak never signed that deal, maybe D'Angelo Russell and Lonzo Ball are playing together in the same backcourt this year. Who knows? But I hope the best for him, and I want him to succeed. But like I said, it consistency is going to be the big thing for him this year and really um being able to show that that floor general um ability while he's on the court and if he can do that i mean you know sky's the limit for him and his talent all right so martin the player you're looking forward to watching the most oh man um oh so tough i'm just gonna say d'angelo russell i'm not even lying i mean we we all knew you were gonna say russell that's not you know, thank goodness for Jerry Buss is what I have to say. Um, your your misfortune has has helped us. Um, Wait, I hold think, on, hold on, hold on. We well, sti- not so much we got Brooke Lopez and Kyle Kuzma in the deal. Well, this is about the Atlantic Division, <laughs> so you tuck that in. <laughs> I'm just um, saying we we didn't come no, out no, bad no, on that end. No, 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 you 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 didn't come out bad. Um, for me as a Nets fan, um. When the trade went down, I, I remember I was out to lunch and I looked at my phone and I saw all these messages from WhatsApp and I was just like floored. You know, um, I, I I was open to the idea of trading book, like I always said, if it made sense and if it got us a really good player. And I think Jonathan knows I always mm-hmm. said that. Don't just trade him to trade him. Get something good. And D'Angelo Russell is good, you know. Whatever the Lakers' assessment of was him was of him and why they traded him, I still think, like you said, if Mozgov isn't there, they're still going to keep him. They're still going to have that backcourt. Um, but again, it works out wonderfully for us. You know, you could have two Kyle Kuzmas 
I'm glad we have one D'Angelo Russell. Um, I think his his skill sets. I think he's very underrated as a passer. I think his passing ability, and if you want to YouTube his sports science episode, his passing ability is is phenomenal. He's kind of like a quarterback that knows how to make those throws through safeties and corners to hit his man right in stride. So I think his passing is is definitely underrated. I think he. I think he has a confidence and a swagger that you need in a star. You know, I think he, the the whole ice in his veins things, the the big games, not just the one against Kyrie, but the one he had against John Wall, the one he had against Brooklyn, you know, where he, I think he dropped like 40 points on us. So I think he definitely has star potential. And he wants to be in Brooklyn. He wants to grow. He wants to develop. Um one of the things that happened in the preseason is the Miami game. They didn't like his shot selection. Kenny Atkinson spoke to him about it. And what he told Kenny Atkinson was, since it was the first game in Brooklyn, he wanted to, to give his all to the fans. So I like that. I like that he, he wants to be successful. He wants to play. And like Jonathan said, man, the chip on his shoulder tour, for as much as he spoke in the preseason about, you know, everybody gets traded and, you know, I just want to perform well against everybody. I know he has the Lakers circled on his calendar. And I know he wants to perform well that day. So I think he's going to be exciting to watch for us this season. Very I mean, exciting. Yeah. It's, you should feel that way. All, all the power to you on that. Um, Heck yeah. So where do we... All right, settle down. <laughs> so, John, where do you see the Nets ending up this season? I think honestly, and this is my, this is how I feel, my hunch. I think that the Nets are that team that's going to float around the eighth seed. I think mm-hmm. they're going to surprise everybody. I think with the blatant, in my opinion, blatant tank, we're going to see out of Atlanta, Indiana, Chicago, and the expectations that I don't think Philly are prepared to reach at this point. I think it's going to be the Brooklyn Nets that are floating around that eighth seed. And surprise everybody with how many games they go out and win this year. Because they have every reason to play hard. They have no reason to tank. They are trying to establish a culture, attract free agents. I think they're going to have cap space next year to chase some big names. So I really expect the Nets to be, you know, right on, you know, falling out the lottery and on the verge of coming into the playoffs. Yeah, I I think they're going to be somewhere between 8 and 10 in the East. I think they're going to hover around that 8C2. I mean, the one thing, though, it, that would be a huge jump. That would be like almost a 20-win jump. So you got to keep that in mind, too. But, um, I yeah, I think they're going to be better than they were last year. I, I think they lost Brooke, but they added uh, a lot of other talent. And, you know, they're going to have – Presumably, they're going to have Jeremy Lin a lot more than they did last year. So I think that kind of balances um, or still leaves them in the net positive in terms of talent. And, yeah, I mean, they're going to be better. I Maybe, like, around, like, a 35-win team, I, I would say. If they, you know, if everything breaks right, they could probably get to maybe – you know, 38, 40, that could get you towards the eighth seed. But like I said, at the same time, that would be like a 20-win turnaround, and that's that's a really big jump. So I'm not 
banking on that, but I think they're gonna have a they're they're gonna have a good season overall. Uh, Martin, what, what do you think? So what's the line from Dumb and Dumber? So you're saying there's a chance? <laughs> yes, I'm saying there's a chance. <laughs> um, for me, I'm gonna be totally honest, and I know, you know, I I stand for the Nets more than anybody. You know, I I don't have to worry about the Yankees because the Yankees are always in everything. And the Jets, I just, you know, hope that one day the Johnson Johnson money gets spent well. Um, for me, for the Nets, I think that, you know, everything you said, Calvin, it's a 20-win upswing for them to make the playoffs, um, you know, hovering between 8 and 10, and Jonathan said the 8th seed. I think that the best part about the Nets team this season is there's absolutely no expectations from everyone else. But the expectations the Nets have put on themselves is the playoffs. So if you look at the, the landscape of the East, no one, no one is going to say that the Nets are going to make the eighth seed. And everybody has been saying, well, they might, they could, if things break this way, if this happens. But for me, I feel we are definitely the eighth seed. I think that especially if we start the season strong like we did in preseason, I really think that this team has a chance to do something special. And they might even be 500 if they make the playoffs. I don't say I don't believe that they're going to be an upper echelon East team, but I think that they are going to come in. They're going to play hard. They're going to be fun to watch. They're going to play basketball the right way, as, as, as people say. But I do see them seeing, at, at worst, the eighth seed. I think the potential is there for them to do that. I think when you look at just what they did in preseason, where you have guys that weren't known for their defense defending, you have D'Angelo Russell getting steals, hustling for rebounds. You have guys like, you know, you said the dead body of Damari Carroll, but now Damari Carroll is playing with a smile on his face, which he didn't have in Toronto because they're boring. So he's hitting his threes. He's defending. He's setting the pace for them. You have guys, like you said, like Levert, who's on the cusp of showing really what he could be. Is he a, 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 a Paul George-ish, Scottie Pippen-ish type? What could he be? You have the Nets offering these guys or, or picking up the their contracts, extending them. Levert, Hollis Jefferson, D'Angelo Russell. So they know what their core is. They have a culture. They want these kids to succeed. So I think... Heart of hearts, no lie, not even, you know, no mis- misconceptions whatsoever. I think the Nets are the eighth seed come playoffs. Well, you heard it here, folks. Martin guarantees the Nets will be in the playoffs. <laughs> yep, and he... don't at me. <laughs> don't at him, but at him on the low. Okay, guys, thanks. All right, we, we did it, guys. That's the Atlantic Division. We went through all the teams. Uh, we we talked a lot. We talked a lot tonight. But, uh, you know, I wanted to thank you guys. I want to thank John. I want to thank Martin for being on this evening, helping me out in Leif's absence. And anything you guys want, any other final thoughts you guys want to give? Go right ahead. Um, Just can't, looking forward to next week, man. This has been the best off season, And I'm just hoping that we get a lot of healthy Basketball guys stay healthy, mm-hmm. and we get to see these storylines absolutely at the West unfold. Yeah, absolutely. The Western Conference is going to be amazing. The Eastern Conference is going to be kind of hard to watch. 
unless you have one of the teams on the top you're rooting for, then it not then that's okay. But um, and it's gonna be fun, like you said. It's gonna be, it was a great off season. Looking forward to this upcoming season, and then that's about all I can say. Martin, you got any thoughts on it? Yeah, my, I I think like Jonathan said, and like you said, healthy basketball, fun basketball. Um, my I would love to see D'Angelo Russell get at least one triple double. I think he could do it. But other than that, man, I just I just can't wait for Wednesday. I can't wait. Nets versus Pacers. Yeah. Well, you got Cal. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have it circled yet. I'm, I'm just uh I'm just kind of here waiting for the results. Uh, <laughs> oh, got the Clippers. Yeah. I'm not too scared of the Clippers this year. Famous last words. <laughs> All right. So, again, thank you guys, um, and thank thank everybody for listening once again to the Pace and Space podcast. You know, if you got you guys can find us on Facebook, on Twitter. You guys already know that. Um, You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes for the podcast. Um, Stay tuned. There's gonna be some rebranding going on. Uh, We're gonna get that Uh information out there. Yeah, Martin Uh and John don't even know about this. This is this Uh is breaking news. There's going to be some rebranding of some stuff, and we're going to focus more on what we do best, which is the podcast, and uh, stay tuned for for that info as it comes out. But once again, uh, thank everybody for listening. Thank you guys for uh, being on the show tonight, uh, Martin and John. And lastly, just wanted to remind everybody, stay woke and stay mellow.